Hello and welcome back to Twin Paradox. I'm King Everett Medlin and what you're hearing is a sci-fi trilogy I wrote four years ago under the pseudonym Purple Hazel. Twin Paradox follows my first podcast series entitled Deathwalker Colony, which is now a full-length novel available for purchase on Amazon. It's on sale today in ebook format, as well as the first two books in the Rigel 12 series, The Rise of New Australia and Return of Anarchy. Tonight we finish part three. BJ, with her lover Captain Stater's blessing, endeavors to go to work on the prickly colony commander Luigi Cadorna. She has one objective in mind, and it's soon to be discovered that the lonely fellow has no intention of passing up the opportunity to make love to her. Can she keep him distracted long enough for the colonists and crew to complete the colony? For that matter, can she even keep up with the man in bed? He is Italian after all. Twin Paradox is a sci-fi series encompassing three full-length novels, all of which will be read in their entirety during the coming weeks. You can go online and download the ebooks, or if you prefer, tune in and listen to me read them to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Twin Paradox Part 3, Journey and Conquest, Chapter 15, To the Surprise of Everyone. Over the next few weeks, just as BJ promised, Luigi became a changed man. He transformed into a kind, benevolent leader, a strict but fair manager, all the while exhibiting patience and generosity. He even paid compliments to subordinates, something no one had ever seen him do before. On the command bridge, his staff wondered what had happened to him. The change was so dramatic and immediate that it baffled them. They were the first to see his happy transformation, and to be sure, they didn't know what to make of it. To say it caught them off guard was an understatement. The first time it happened, he practically blew their minds. It was when a staff member sent him a report which detailed the latest results from samples taken by the Marine Processing Plant design team. This group worked in a makeshift lab down by the seaside and was responsible for projecting food yields as well as devising a system for harvesting plant life from the ocean floor. It was an ambitious project fraught with danger because they would often have to venture out into the Captain Sea in those flimsy rafts they brought and dangle fishnets over the side in order to haul in sea creatures. These were then dissected to determine what they ate, revealing what sort of plants might be growing down there. The news was quite good this time. Unfortunately, Luigi required all daily reports delivered by 1800 hours. This one had been overlooked, saved to a temporary folder by mistake, and forgotten until much later in the duty shift. The poor staff member responsible for this could only fear for the worst when she discreetly forwarded it to his computer inbox. She could only hope he'd overlook the timestamp and simply read the information. It was great news! but this was just the type of thing that would set him off regarding not following orders. Luigi had always been the type of boss who would overlook any positive in order to point out a flaw. That's what aggravated people. In the past, it had seemed like just about any form of error, or breach of protocol in this case, was a surefire way to get screamed at. Not this time. Luigi opened the electronic file sent to him, it was about 1900 hours at the time, and muttered something like, Only to change direction. He cleared his throat as if to compose himself, and instead of lashing out, exclaimed with a big smile, 
Ah, Lieutenant Shaw, these are good tidings indeed. Buona novella. You saved it for me to read later, eh? <laughs> then to everyone's relief, he laughed, followed by reaching over to pat Lieutenant Cho on the back. This is wonderful. All of you gather around, will you, per favore? He actually said please for once. After that, he proceeded to surprise those present by pulling them together and reading it off like some proud uncle, viewing a Christmas card sent from his favorite niece. See? We're making fabulous progress with our testing down at the marine lab, he began. Just look at these results, would you? Garda questo. They cautiously gathered behind as he gushed ecstatically over the report's details. Keenly aware of his tendencies for erratic mood swings, when he turned to face them, they almost shrieked back in terror, thinking he would turn on them and launch into another tantrum. Only on this occasion, and to their immense relief, he stunned his audience as he warmly reached out to shake their hands and thanked them, actually thanked them for all their hard work. I am so very pleased and so very proud. Grazie mille. Next, he shocked them even further with, And you know what? I should go congratulate them in person. Right now, shouldn't I? Referring to the scientists down at the marine lab. His staff didn't know just how to respond. They didn't argue about it, though, especially when he returned a few hours later and told them, I've been thinking. You people have been working so hard. How about taking the rest of the day off? Please, go have some fun. I can handle things here just fine by myself. I'll see you tomorrow, no? They nodded and smiled cautiously. Luigi had either flipped his lid or had somehow found joy in life. Whatever the cause, they were more than happy to accommodate him. From that day forward, he only got nicer, more pleasant with each passing day. They could hardly believe what they were seeing. No one could, really. He'd visit work sites, driven around by his now regular sidekick, Ensign Ariel. Rarely got out of the vehicle. Sometimes he would, walking up to startled irrigation line workers or construction teams with hands clasped behind his back. They'd offer a salute, which he'd promptly return, then patiently listen to them. He'd hear what they had to say, then utterly amaze them by complimenting their efforts. He'd address those listening in as well. See, si, buon lavoro, he would say in Italian. Grazie, signore e signori. Tutti voi. You're all doing a fine job. After that, he'd wave goodbye, hop back into Rover 5 with BJ at the wheel, and they would drive away, leaving crew members in stunned silence. This was the effect BJ was having on him. She was solely responsible for the Curmudgeony Colony Commander's rejuvenation. It was the fabulous lovemaking that was doing it, and BJ bore up to Luigi's constant demands on her affections like a real trooper. It was the process of building up to the big moment that was so taxing. That's what made it so difficult, even if sleeping with a guy wasn't all that bad, she had to admit. Problem was the lead-up. Turned out Luigi's idea of foreplay was, to say the least, twisted. For it was her first experience with a bona fide fetishist, a person who incorporated normally non-sexual objects or body parts in an effort to achieve sexual stimulation. In the case of Luigi, his fetishes were just as unnerving as they were titillating. A few were downright bizarre. It certainly kept things interesting. Luigi didn't seem to know just what he wanted until he wanted it. Then he wanted nothing but that, and she'd have to make it happen for him. 
Not that he wasn't an excellent lover once he'd gotten all lathered up. He simply had a yearning for different things to be done prior to sex, which made their sessions all the more perverse. Some were weird, the things he'd have her do for him, and some were just plain silly. She had fun, nevertheless. He came up with scenarios, positions, and variations that never failed to drive the buxom brunette insane. Sometimes from orgasmic fury, sometimes from giggling till her sides ached. His first big kink involved deriving erotic stimulation from soiling her hair and body prior to intercourse. He would start by having her disrobe while he turned up the heat inside their tent to the maximum temperature of 29 degrees Celsius. Then he would muss up her long brown hair, smear dust from her pressure suit all over her naked body, and behold her sweaty, mud-streaked form while ejaculating. It was rather unsettling, and from there things snowballed. Sometimes he was specifically turned on by her feet, spending half an hour or so caressing them, moving up her legs before burrowing his face into her crotch and sending her into shrills of panicky laughter. He would then drive her to orgasm with his tongue and fingers, insisting that she climax several times before he would stop. He especially loved her natural odors, preferred it when she didn't shave her legs, pubic area, or armpits for weeks at a time. Other times, he demanded that she be scrubbed up all nice and clean, only to produce a marking pen and draw designs on her bare flesh, covering her with erotic body art or profane messages written in Italian before becoming overcome with lust. He also took to tickling her with various implements, applying them to sensitive areas like the bottoms of her feet, sides of her ribcage, inner thighs, underarms, even her exposed anus. He'd make it more exciting by securing her wrists and ankles with wire, only to torment her endlessly before succumbing to his urges and mounting her ravenously. She just never knew what he had up his sleeve. Yet through it all, her thoughts repeatedly turned to Steinhardt and his intensely powerful style of lovemaking. Given the choice, she'd always gravitated toward guys who did it like he did. Sure, this was all fun and games, and she fully appreciated the effort. How could she not? Luigi was quite the busy boy whenever he'd get fully aroused, and overall she liked what he was doing. Told him so, too. Little could he have realized, whenever he would finally penetrate her, panting and snarling like a madman, grabbing her breasts as he shuddered in release, she was secretly fantasizing about the big German captain and the things he liked doing to her. As for the backlash that both B.J. and Steinart had anticipated from crew members detecting the affair with Commander Cadorna, it never materialized. This had always been a concern of theirs, but her liaisons with the colony commander didn't raise the ire of her colleagues like they feared might happen. Comments would be made, and people would weigh in with their opinions from time to time, but when confronted, B.J. easily deflected such inevitable barbs. So how is he? A female crew member might ask her flippantly, and BJ, with her usual brashness, would simply retort, Great! He is an Italian, after all, isn't he? That would usually shut them down. Besides, she generally wasn't interested in what others thought of her. Never had been. She could see how Commander Cadorna had turned over a new leaf. Angry Luigi had become happy Luigi, and everyone was beginning to see it. Given a little time, she knew he would win them over. She spent hours and hours with him every day. He couldn't live without her, especially with the way she continually bolstered his confidence, lightly admonishing the man whenever he would start getting perturbed with someone. 
It was the way she went about it more than anything that led to Luigi's turnaround. Now, there's other ways you could look at this if you think about it, she would say to him, and he'd always relent, as though it was his dear mother scolding him to be more understanding and accommodating. She would gently remind him that folks were doing all they could and under daunting circumstances at that. You know they're trying their best. Pay them a compliment and make polite suggestions. Then leave it up to them to do the right thing. You'll see. He would subsequently suppress his emotions and in most cases do exactly as she recommended to both the delight and bewilderment of his subordinates. People started to like him. He began to like himself. Meanwhile, Luigi Cadorna spent most of every duty shift being carted around in Rover 5, and when they would knock off work to go slip away to a secluded spot for an hour or two, she would review the day, let him vent, let him rant and rave, then patiently await his admission that things were running smoothly. Ma succe ai ragioni, la mia ragazza. I know they're trying their best, he would often say, smiling. Maybe I go back later and check up on their progress, eh? To this, BJ would counter with, Sure! We can go back there tomorrow and see how they're doing. Or we could just leave them alone for a few days and then go see how they're coming along. How about that? They're smart people after all. They'll figure things out. Her calming input was plenty to put him at ease and save her fellow crewmates from further interruptions, which is all it was, really, traveling out to inspect work sites, an interruption and nothing more. His subordinates didn't need supervision. They needed focused effort without major delays so to complete their projects, not to mention a little less stress. That being said, there were more than a few skeptics. Some still wondered as to BJ's motives. Look at that, seriously? commented one of the Americans one day as she was working on the irrigation pipeline. I mean, what in the world does she do all day? Drive around with that creep? A colleague working nearby weighed in. Absolutely. Drives him around to oversee our projects, commented a female scientist from Russia. I have friend on Comambridge at Beelander. Says they are together constantly visiting worksite. Whatever else they do during day, no one knows. It was then that their team leader, a Chinese woman who had once been a soil engineer back on Earth, overheard the conversation and interjected, As long as she keep him in car, I don't care what she do with him. We nearly finish. And that had been the idea all along. Within a couple months, the major projects were finished. Santa Maria's return team, with help from the away team and the remaining 50 colonists, were soon fitting out the mothership for takeoff. The gigantic solar agricultural center was completed. It was about the size of a convention center and rose high above the dry seabed floor, gleaming in the dim sunlight of Captain B. Roof now constructed, with fabricated walls attached to towering beams planted deep in the soil, as well as sophisticated irrigation system to hydrate their crops, it could be closed up tight enabling workers to tend to their newly planted gardens in heated comfort. A pleasant interior atmosphere was created to complement oxygen given off by growing plants. This would eventually allow the colonists to breathe clean air. It was done by using electrolysis, a scientific process separating components of hydrogen and oxygen in order to manufacture clean air. 
Basically, direct electric current could be passed through an ion-conducting polymer, producing chemical reactions at the electrodes and separating the materials, trapping oxygen in tanks and feeding it into the facility. Heat was provided using the component hydrogen separated during the electrolysis process. These energy sources were nearly infinite, as irrigated water continued to flow down from surrounding mountains. Water was processed into oxygen, and the component hydrogen turned into fuel for the center's heating system using solar energy. Because of this, colonists could now work safely inside without having to wear helmets. They continued to use their pressure suits, though, because their boots alleviated at least some of the effects of bees' oppressive gravity. Much like Megaball uniforms back on Earth, their boots contained a system which activated an electronic field beneath their feet. It provided nothing in terms of lifting heavy objects or operating gardening tools, of course. These tasks they had to manage on their own. Nevertheless, no one minded being turned into farmers after all they'd been through. It was rather enjoyable. Morale improved. Water was being ferried from the surrounding hills where engineers had rigged piping to draw snowmelt down to the dry seabed. Water was filtered to remove toxicity which might be harmful to humans, and seedlings brought from Earth were already starting to germinate in soil fertilized by treated human biosolids. What's more, because of Captain B's peculiar orbit, one particular advantage was that plants would benefit from perpetual sunlight. This would greatly enhance crop yields, scientists boasted, especially in a contained environment such as the new agricultural center. And that's not all. By this point, engineers and biologists working down by the ocean had finished their tests and created blueprints for a food processing plant which might tap the ocean's resources. This facility would someday harvest marine life and produce packaged ocean wafers, they predicted. A vast network of processing plants was envisioned, dotting the coast for hundreds of kilometers in either direction. The possibilities were endless. For example, sea vegetables, they proposed, could eventually be gathered using marine plants that could provide trace minerals essential to the human diet. This was exciting news indeed, for these elements would act as magnets within the blood to bind other nutrients, making them ideal for a healthy diet. One day this might serve humanity in paving the way for this super planet to feed the world. All they needed now were the materials to build it, and a way to ship it back. In the final days, the crew assembled components for the gigantic laser, which would store up solar power and eventually fire a beam of light into the sky, activating Santa Maria's starshot mechanism. This laser beam would impact the mothership's mirrored panels after it achieved orbit. It would be sent hurtling back toward Earth at 90% the speed of light. Best of all, the Santa Maria would be able to launch its all-important message pod back to Earth, the one notifying folks back at space program that the colony had been established. On the day of the mothership's departure, crews and colonists assembled in the now empty cargo bay. All wore dress uniforms, separated according to function. The away team were more numerous, of course, numbering a hundred, standing in formation like a company of battle-hardened troops. They had less than two days before they'd be put into stasis. After a couple speeches and a few field promotions, everyone was dismissed. BJ was one of those promoted that day, Lieutenant Junior Grade. When her name was announced, Captain Stater looked out at the crowd hoping to gauge their reaction. Amazingly enough, she received a hearty round of applause. 
Seemed she had lots of fans, besides Commander Cadorna, naturally. Steinart wondered if she would be received in such a way. As for her boost in rank, she deserved it. That said, it was Tommy Berwick's decision, not his. It was Berwick's idea to promote her. Captain Berwick had met with him privately a few weeks earlier and discussed his choices for promotions. Her name came up at one point, and at first Captain Stater winced at hearing him mentioning her special role in serving the needs of the crew and command staff of B-Lander, as he put it. This would become part of BJ's permanent record, and Steinart preferred that it not be, given how folks would eventually find out back at Space Program what she had actually done. As for Tommy Berwick, he was quick to point out that if it hadn't been for the young lady from Colorado, their situation might be far different right now. She really came through for us, Captain, gushed Berwick. I can only imagine how things might have gone if she hadn't taken one to the chin for us the way she did. Steinhardt bristled at the thought, tried pushing it from his mind, tried desperately to avoid thinking of her sleeping with another man, let alone the bombastic colony commander, a man he had grown to detest. Nevertheless, he responded professionally as always. Kind of Frage das. She puts the crew first, and that I must agree warrants recognition, Captain. I think it's a logical choice promoting her. Sensing his discomfort, Tommy Berwick then added, rather indelicately, Right, but uh, between you and me and the bedpost, if you'll pardon the expression, I have no bloody idea what's going to happen to all those colonists once we're gone. I fear that little Italian bloke might revert to his old self in her absence, don't you think? Steinart chuckled half-heartedly. Bedpost? He knew Tommy had seen the two together numerous times and had full knowledge of their previous affair. Captain Berwick had ignored it, just like he always did when it came to matters posing no threat to crew morale. Now it seemed the man just couldn't resist ribbing his fellow officer about having to do without sex these past few months. Captain Stater didn't mind, really. BJ was now to be his lover again. They'd be on that ship for several years together as it traveled back to Earth. By way of comparison, Luigi Cadorna would be left empty-handed, with no one to help him through those trying times ahead, while he and the other colonists awaited arrival of the relief ship. That said, whether Cadorna continued to behave or not was no longer his concern. Tommy Berwick seemed to feel the same. I guess we shan't worry about that after we blast off. I sure won't be giving it any thought. Won't be giving much thought to anything at all, will I? He was right, of course. He'd be frozen inside a cryogenic container for the balance of the voyage home. Reckon I won't have to worry about a bloody thing. Not till we reach Earth. Then he laughed from having seen his colleague squirm. Steinart took it in stride. Yes, Captain. And if I might add, I will do my level best to take good care of her while you're out of action. That I can assure you. Berwick sensed his colleague was taking the opportunity to taunt him in return. He appreciated the sarcasm. Oh yes, I hope you do. I really hope you do. He grinned slyly before rising up from the table in the officer's mess. They saluted each other and Steinart returned to his duties. Blastoff was a smashing success. No significant problems. It created a dust cloud the size of a hurricane. However, by then the colonists of B-Lander were safely secured inside their vessel. It would take them a week to clear off the sand dune that built up alongside their craft, but they made it through unscathed. 
Meanwhile, things pretty much returned to normal on board Santa Maria. The two stasis machines, which had been suspected of malfunctioning, were not to be reused. Captain's orders, leaving only 48 with enough chemicals to cryogenically freeze a human body for up to 14 Earth years. The unexpected result was that Shimiso, as well as Young Men Joe and Oswaldo, chose to remain conscious for the entire flight. To the astonishment of the return team, none of the three would enter stasis without the other two. Even though there was still a functional stasis machine for at least one of them to utilize, they refused to draw lots for it. Acting Captain Stater respected their decision and welcomed them back to their posts. Ozzy joined the team supervising the Matterpod line, which would run tests in order to make sure they were all still functioning. Shimiso returned to her old job in the cryogenics lab. Young Min Joe returned to managing the hydroponic garden and doing what he had done for the away team all those years in space. He had also been promoted to lieutenant junior grade and, just like BJ, outranked half the crew. As for Steinart, he assumed full command of the ship, and once orders had been given and duty rosters completed, he prepared for the long flight back. He was both relieved and yet apprehensive at the same time. It had been months since he'd been intimate with BJ. He longed for her terribly, had missed her the whole time she'd been attached to Luigi Cadorna. Now that she was about to be his again, he wrestled with his feelings. He knew he had done the right thing, never doubted it, not even for a minute. Knew BJ had the right idea by using her womanly charms to calm the inflexible commander and get him off people's backs so they could finish the colony. However, no matter how he tried rationalizing things, it still bothered him that his girlfriend had temporarily belonged to another. Hardly a crew member on board didn't know they had once been lovers, and few understood why BJ had apparently dumped him for that temperamental Italian in the first place. It was bound to make for some rather awkward conversations. Unfortunately, they had to wait several days before they could find time to reconnect. Had so much to do, especially Steinhardt. He'd see her and they would make eye contact, but he'd avoid any personal interaction so as not to distract the crew. It just didn't feel right, not until everyone had settled into their routines. Only then did he approach her with his familiar old smile that she'd gotten so used to months earlier. She responded in kind once she saw him changing back into the man she so dearly loved. Well, Captain, I see you're back to your old self. Does this mean we're cool? She asked delicately, but with a come-hither grin that she could only hope would allay any remaining concerns. Steinhardt chuckled happily, then replied in German, Ja, alles in Ordnung. BJ sought to clarify this statement. Dann sind wir wieder zusammen? To this, Steinhardt patiently answered, with sincere affection as well as relief. Oh yes, my love. We most certainly are together again. In reaction, she threw her arms around his neck and kissed him. Thank God, Snooky. God, I've missed you. Really, I have. Couldn't make it another day. Captain Stater embraced her, burying his face in her neck like a husband who'd been apart from his wife for many years. It didn't matter if anyone saw them doing this. He knew that. And it didn't matter if anyone speculated that she'd been given special consideration regarding her new promotion. That, too, didn't matter. BJ, for one, couldn't have cared less. She wasn't the type to pull rank. Couldn't give a flying fuck, to be honest, is what she would later tell people. 
No, the only thing she cared about was that she had gotten back her man, the one she truly desired. In his absence, she had developed the deepest of feelings for him. She now knew Steinart was the one she wanted to marry someday. If he would still have her, of course. As for the big German, he just couldn't contain his curiosity. He craved details, wanted to know of her adventures with the once tempestuous Commandante. How did she turn him around so quickly? What did she say to him? What did he tell her? How did he account for his actions during those difficult months when the crew began work on the colony? Did he explain himself? Did he even try? What excuses did he make regarding his conduct? What's more, Steinart just had to ask, And, uh, how was he? I mean, in terms of, well, you know. In bed? Queried BJ, and with a look on her face like she now possessed some vital secret. You want to know? Really? The captain stared at her blankly, endeavoring to remain composed. Yet his eyes told a different story. It was though he feared she might have stayed in the relationship with the colony commander because he was some kind of fabulous lover, one who pleasured her more than Steinart himself could ever do. He'd apparently forgotten how it had been his idea to have her become Luigi's girlfriend until the colony was completed. BJ detected this and embraced him once more, kissing his cheek and laying her head upon his broad chest. The thought occurred to her that a quick answer might not be a wise move, might be taken the wrong way. If she gushed assurances in order to bolster his confidence, he might find it to be forced, or worse, questionable. Well, let's not worry about that for now, okay, Captain? We'll have plenty of time during the trip home to talk about it, won't we? To this he gave out a semi-frustrated, BJ knew just what she was doing. To her, men were much like mathematical equations. Both merely required patience and careful observation of predictable tendencies, even crazy ones, as she had recently discovered. Instead, she added in a husky voice, barely above a whisper, Besides, I got a better idea. What do you say we go get a shower and take a little break in the virtual reality chamber together? Say, for an hour or two, just the two of us, I bet I know what'll make you feel better. This concludes tonight's podcast of Twin Paradox Chapter 15, to the surprise of everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Watch for Episode 16, which I'll be posting very soon. Also, and don't forget, my latest full-length novel, Death Walker Colony, is available right now in ebook format and can be downloaded today on Amazon.com, along with the first two books of the Rigel 12 series, The Rise of New Australia and Return of Anarchy. A link to these can be found in the transcript for this episode. I'm King Everett Medlin. Thanks for tuning in.